Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than looking at movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, bad movies, movies that we loved, and movies that we hated. This podcast is provided totally free with no outside advertising, so if you enjoy it, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes and write us a review. You can also find a transcript of this podcast on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be talking about Sully, the new Tom Hanks movie with a script by Todd Kamarniki. Uh, and an interesting story about Todd Kamarniki, he doesn't know this, but it was actually Todd Kamarniki who introduced me to screenwriting. Because it was Todd Kamarniki's script, My Achilles Heart, that was the very first script that I ever read. I read that script when I was an intern at a pretty major production company back when I was still in college. It was the first script I ever read, and it was never made, but I was so deeply moved by the script that I did the one thing that no coverage reader should ever do. I wrote recommend on my coverage for the very first script that I ever read. And I will never forget because I was called into the office of the executive. And mind you, it was my first day on my internship. I had never read a screenplay. I didn't know what I was doing. Somebody had given me a piece of coverage and said, hey, read this script and do this. And I had read the script and was really deeply moved by it and wrote recommend. And so this guy calls me into his office, this executive, and he says, uh, this is your name. You're, you're Jacob Kruger. And I said, I said, yes. And he said, and you read this script and you wrote this coverage. And I said, yes. And he said, and you wrote recommend on this. And I said, yes. Wasn't it great? He said, yeah, I just read this script. Because when you write recommend, it means I have to read it. And he said, if you ever do this again, you're fired. And I remember my shock because I thought that I had discovered the diamond in the rough. And apparently this executive did not agree. Um, but I actually still have a copy of my Achilles heart. When I left my internship, I actually took the script with me. Um, and even when I moved to New York, I carried that script with me. So I don't know if Todd Kamerniki will ever hear this podcast, but I want you to know that your script deeply moved me and in a way introduced me to screenwriting. I also want to tell that story because I want to talk a little bit about the experience that we as screenwriters have with coverage readers. Now, it turns out that I actually do have pretty good taste in scripts, and I actually did have pretty good instincts with scripts, and probably somebody should make my Achilles heart. If you're a producer and you're listening to this podcast, call Todd Kamarniki's agent and try to get a copy of my Achilles heart. Or maybe you shouldn't, because last time I read that script, I was a 19-year-old wide-eyed intern. I had no business writing coverage on a script at that point in my career. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even understand the needs of the producer I was reading for. I was working for a big budget production company, which quite frankly was not making little character driven movies like the script that I had fallen in love with. I was completely untrained and I was doing the very best I could. And it turned out maybe I had a little bit of skill for this. 
But at the time, I certainly didn't know that, nor did anybody else. So the the first reason I'm telling this story is oftentimes we take our criticism way too seriously. We take our criticism too seriously and we take our praise way too seriously. And similarly, this executive basically laughed me out of the room and threatened to fire me for thinking that I had discovered this diamond in the rough. And many years later, here's Todd Kamarniki writing a major Tom Hanks movie. So maybe the guy had a little bit of talent after all. We have to be really careful as writers about who we take our criticism from. And we have to be really careful as writers about who we take our praise from. I recently had a student who finished a script that that I thought was particularly beautiful. She had been working with me for a long time in our ProTrack, our one-on-one mentorship program. We'd worked through several drafts. And she'd sent it out, and she had received her very first piece of coverage. And she called me full of excitement and joy when she got her first piece of coverage back. She sent me the coverage. And I will tell you that it is the most glowing coverage that I've ever read. It was the kind of coverage that I wrote on Todd Kamarniki's script. Um, This reader had been so incredibly moved by her script. And I said to her, I agree with everything that this reader says but you can't take it seriously. And the reason you can't take it seriously is because if you take that seriously, you're going to have to take the other feedback you get seriously. And some of it's not going to be good. She looked at me like I was completely out of my mind. A few weeks later, she called me back. She had just gotten her second piece of coverage. And it was as violent of a rejection as the first one was passionate in its praise. And she said, now I understand why you said that. There are a lot of brilliant people writing coverage. There are a lot of people who are writing coverage today are going to end up being the great writers and the great producers of the future. And there are a lot of not so brilliant people writing coverage. There are a lot of interns writing coverage who are untrained and inexperienced. And the the numbers of coverage don't really make sense because although you as a consumer may pay about $150 for coverage, the truth is a coverage reader is getting paid about 50 bucks a script. And if you do the math on what it costs to time-wise to read a script write a good logline, a good summary, a good commentary, you realize that if they really were to carefully read each script and carefully craft each piece of coverage, that these people will be working for less than minimum wage. And in fact, many of them are working for less than minimum wage. Many of them, like I was at the time, are working for free. Um, And that doesn't mean your coverage reader isn't talented, but it does mean that your coverage reader should not be a reliable source of information. Because if your coverage reader was an experienced writer, uh, if your coverage reader was a working writer, they would not be writing coverage for $50 a script because it just doesn't make sense economically. 
coverage is where people go to start out. And the truth is, if someone's still writing coverage many, 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 many years later, you worry even more because you wonder what's keeping them at that job. So there's nothing wrong with coverage. Coverage is a valuable thing. It's a way of executives understanding which scripts to read and which scripts not to. And then the other thing to understand is that um, executives aren't always right either. Because here's a guy who threatened to fire me for having the gall to think that I had discovered the next diamond in the rough. And turns out maybe I was right. If you're going to be a writer, you need to accept that this is going to take some time. And it's going to take some luck. It's not just about finding somebody who loves your script. It's finding about someone who loves your script at the right time. And sometimes it's about understanding that the greatest script you ever write is not necessarily going to be the one that gets made. Because as far as I know, my Achilles heart is still sitting on a shelf somewhere. And the movie that right now Todd Kamarniki is most likely to be known for is Sully. And I think Sully is an example of a really good script by a really good writer that doesn't tell a really good story. And I think one of the reasons that Sully doesn't tell a very good story is because Sully is trying to do something very, very difficult. It's trying to, it's trying to do a film adaptation of a real man's life. And it's trying to find drama in a situation that is inherently internal. The first mistake Sully makes is failing to trust its own source material. As several recent articles point out, the persecution of Sully by the airlines, which forms the central premise of this whole story, never actually occurred. It was completely made up by Clint Eastwood, who insisted that the movie needed an antagonist, and failing to find one, made one up. Movies are like life, and the best movies draw their inspiration from life. As useful as the idea of an antagonist may seem, thinking about characters in this way is only going to draw you away from the truth of your story. It's going to lead you to the kind of mustache-twirling villain that we see in Sully, rather than to the fully drawn characters we experience in real life. I don't know about you, but I don't have an antagonist in my life. I have lots of people who drive me crazy. I have lots of relationships. I have lots of people who want things from me and from whom I want things. People I connect with and people that I struggle with. But I don't have anyone in my life whose sole reason for existence is to antagonize me. And even if it seemed like I did, most likely, if I had the ability to see the world through their eyes, I'd realize that they think they're the hero of the story, and most likely would see me as their antagonist. Darth Vader may seem like the antagonist in Star Wars, but that's not how he sees it. Step into his worldview for one moment, and you will realize that from his perspective, the rebels are the antagonists. All he wants is to bring order to the galaxy, with Luke Skywalker at his side. 
but his son has been stolen from him by a terrorist rebel called Obi-Wan Kenobi, who radicalized him and trained him to blow up his own father's Death Star. Do you know how much work it takes to build a frickin' Death Star? Do you realize how many people live aboard it? Darth Vader may have a particularly nasty how of pursuing his objectives, but from his perspective, he's not the bad guy. And that's what makes his confrontation with Luke in The Empire Strikes Back so extraordinary. Here's the truth. There is no such thing as an antagonist. There are only characters pursuing the things they want against the obstacles of everyone else's desires. Some people pursue the things they want in beautiful ways and some in horrible ways. But if you want to write great characters, stop thinking about them in terms of protagonists and antagonists. And start thinking of them as people. Beautiful and terrible and broken people. Trying to get what they want and need in the face of a complicated world. And if that doesn't lead to the kind of conflict you'd expect in a movie, don't create it for its own sake. Instead, trust the integrity, the truth of your own material. There is enough conflict in the world, enough complexity, enough confusion to create a movie out of anything. So if what you're looking for isn't there, especially in a true story, don't make it up. Don't make it up because it will suck. Don't create a movie around total fiction when there's so much drama in the truth. But if you choose to ignore this advice, as the script for Sully does, and run towards a lie rather than running towards the truth, you better darn well make sure that the execution you end up with is better than the truth would have been. That the point of entry you're fictionalizing is actually the most interesting way into the story. So let's, for a moment, imagine that the story Sully is telling was actually true. Or, if it's easier for you, imagine that this story was totally the writer's creation, rather than an adaptation of a real man's life. There'd still be a huge problem with the point of entry into this story. The real shame is, I think that the story of Sully could be a great story. But I also think, regardless of what is true, that this particular writer or this particular producer have the wrong take. That they have chosen the wrong point of entry to what is really interesting in the story. If you've seen the trailer, the part of Sully's story that you already know is that this guy landed a frickin' plane in the Hudson River and saved the lives of 155 people. If you've seen the trailer, the part that you already know is according to Eastwood's take on the material, and let's for argument's sake imagine that this were true, that although Sully was at first celebrated as a hero, he was also persecuted as a man who made a mistake. Unfortunately, even if you've seen the whole feature film of Sully, you probably can't tell me much more story than that. Because despite the obvious skill of the writer, the very strong ability with characterization of the writer, despite the tremendous prowess of the director and the, the stunning visual sequences of the film. At the end of the day, 
The story of Sully as dramatized in this script just keeps on hitting the same beats. And this happens often in Tom Hanks movies. Tom Hanks loves to play these characters who are beyond reproach. He loves to play these characters who are noble and good and brave. And there is nothing wrong with playing a character who is noble and good and brave. There is nothing wrong with playing a character who does not make mistakes, who always does the right thing. And when you're telling a true story of a man that you truly admire, there's even a stronger desire to dramatize their beauty and their bravery and their strength and all the things that make them wonderful. But it's very challenging to effectively tell the story of that kind of character because it's very hard to get that kind of character to change. Because when you're writing a character who is pretty much perfect, it's hard to feel that they need to change at all. So the question is, if you're writing this kind of movie, where is the drama going to come from? If we already know the story, where is the question going to come from? Now, there's a way to do this story like Doubt. If you've seen the movie Doubt, you know that there's a way to tell this story. Or if you've seen the play Doubt, you know that there's a way to tell this story where the drama comes from our doubt, where the drama comes from our questioning of, did this man actually do the right thing? Where the drama comes from the things that we don't know. And the way we start to piece the story together in our own heads. Imagine, for example, if instead of casting Tom Hanks, they had cast Tom Cruise in this role. Imagine if they had cast the cocky, headstrong character that Tom Cruise loves to play. The guy who's got tremendous talent and swagger, but who struggles to play by the rules. If you had Tom Cruise playing this role, you would probably spend the whole movie wondering, did this guy do something right or did this guy do something wrong? If you had a character like Tom Cruise in this role, you might be able to bring that character to a place where he had to wonder if he did the right thing. Think, for example, of the Shawshank Redemption and the structure of that film as they bring the Tim Robbins character, who's another one of these characters who really does no wrong, who is noble and brave and smart and kind and caring and good and really doesn't make any mistakes. But think about the beautiful structure of that movie and how they bring that character to his knees. At that wonderful scene where he says to Red, I, I killed her, Red. I didn't pull the trigger, but I drove her to that cabin with my apathy. Where he accepts his role, where this man who has been pleading his innocence accepts his role in the death of his wife. Remember the ending of A Few Good Men, where these two loyal, honorable Marines have to face the fact that they did make a mistake. When we're telling uh, the story of a movie, we are telling a story of a character's change. We are watching that character go on a journey that tests them and changes them and drives them deep into their own psyche. 
And the problem with Sully, and it's barely a spoiler, but I'm going to give you a warning that there is a tiny little spoiler ahead. The problem with Sully is that we know from the very beginning that there is just no way this man made a mistake. We know from the very beginning that this is a witch hunt. And the reason we know it, we know it because of the dominant traits of the characters. Now, the truth of the matter is, the first scene of the movie is probably the most effective scene of Sully. Because we, as the audience, think we know exactly where we are. We come in and we are watching a plane fly through the city of New York, and it is visually spectacular. And we are telling ourselves we know what's going to happen. We are telling ourselves, yes, this plane is going to land in the Hudson River. And instead, we see the wing clip a building and we go, whoa, I didn't remember that part of the story. And then we see that plane crash into a building in an image ultra reminiscent of 9-11. And we, as the audience, get jolted out of our expectations. We get taken beyond where we expect the movie to go. We were promised a certain thing in the trailer, and now we are finding ourselves in a world that we did not expect. And this is a very good start for the movie Sully. And in fact, this is probably the only way you can start this version of the movie Sully. By shaking the audience up and saying, hey, what do you really believe? By shaking the audience up and saying, hey, there's more to this story than you believe. The problem with Sully is that from that point on, the game is played with a loaded deck. On the one hand, you have Tom Hanks, Sully, played by an actor that you love, that you quite frankly know, with the exception of Road to Perdition, has never done anything wrong in a movie. We're talking about Forrest Gump. We're talking about the captain in Captain Phillips. We're talking about the incredibly moral lawyer in Bridge of Spies. So just seeing Tom Hanks' face, we already know he did the right thing. We are presented with a character who is confident without having swagger. A character who is an expert in airline safety. A character who is a tremendously skilled pilot. A character who is respected by his peers and his union and his friends. We have a pilot who is humble. Who, the moment he's confronted with a witch hunt immediately starts to look inside and wonder, did I do something wrong? In other words, we are not confronted with a character with a problem. We are not confronted with a character who has to go on a journey in relation to his impetuousness, who has to wonder about where his instincts are going to take. And though there is the moment, we are given an investigator who is a character of himself. Another casting decision to cast a guy who looks evil and sounds evil and smells evil and tastes evil. A guy who feels like a bottom-feeding lawyer just looking for a scapegoat. Not like a man who can actually shake our trust. And think about the difference between that and the way doubt is put together. There's nothing wrong with building the movie this way. In fact, this is the way that Doubt is put together. And if you've seen the play version of Doubt, 
you know that the play version of Doubt in many ways was more effective than the film version of Doubt. And the, the reason for that is in the film version of Doubt, they cast Philip Seymour Hoffman. And as soon as you saw Philip Seymour Hoffman, you knew, uh-oh, I don't know if I totally trust him. There's something a little dark and twisted about this guy. But if you saw the play version of Doubt, what you saw was an all-American, good-looking, positive energy, good vibe kind of priest that you wish you had as your priest. And pitted up against that priest, you had a nun who seemed like the horrifying nun of your childhood. And that movie worked. And the reason the movie worked, and the reason the play worked even better, was because those characters were going to go on a journey where our experience of them shifted. To go, Those characters were going to go on a journey where we started out believing that they were good and bad. And over the course of the play, the nun becomes humanized. And we start to understand where her doubt comes from. And we start to understand the good intentions underneath her evil behavior. And the priest becomes tarnished, where we start to see the darker side of his humanity, where we start to question if we can really trust what's on the surface. So because of this, because of the structure of where doubt is going. We feel a tremendous journey for those characters, even though we're left at a place where we still don't know which conclusion we should draw. And of course, that is especially true if you see the play. In this movie, the problem is that the characters do not switch. That though lip service is given to the question of did Sully do the right thing? There's never a moment where we truly doubt it. And one of the reasons is, is because Sully's character goes to introspection too quickly. The moment that he's confronted with the witch hunt of this inquisiting panel, he immediately starts to wonder, hey, did I really do the right thing? He looks inside himself in a way that is beautiful and brave and courageous. And yet another indication that this is not a character with a problem. And then after analyzing what he really went through, determines that in fact he did do the right thing. And though it is a shock, again a little spoiler ahead, and though it is a shock when we see the simulations and they turn out to work, even then we know that what's happening isn't fair. We know that what's happening isn't fair because we have viscerally experienced multiple times over the course of the movie exactly what it felt like to be this man. We have experienced the way he's haunted by what happened in the cockpit. We've experienced the way he's replaying it again and again and again in his head. We've experienced the terror of that experience. And we've experienced that moment where he sees himself in the news and comes to the realization about time. And though this does make for a really beautifully written monologue, it doesn't make for a satisfying journey. The journey feels thin. 
And the reason the journey feels thin is because the character hasn't really changed. The character hasn't really been tested. The character hasn't really gone on a journey. The character started off right and ended right. The character did what any reasonable human being would do and looked at himself in the mirror and said, hey, did I do the right thing or the wrong one? And determined that, in fact, he had done the right thing. And then the character was vindicated by evidence that proved what, quite frankly, we already knew, not only from the first scene of the movie, but from the moment we saw the trailer. We knew that this was a movie about a witch hunt. Similarly, because of the dominant trait of the Inquisitor, because of the dominant trait of this bottom feeder that we absolutely hate, and because that character doesn't go on a real journey until he's completely destroyed by Sully in front of everybody, and until the flight simulator proves what we've already believed the whole time. Because he doesn't go on a real journey, because no part of him is right. The movie ends up not really being about anything. Now, does that mean that the character has to actually change? No. This could be a movie about the system. This could be a movie about blame and the need for blame. In other words, this could be a political movie about the need for unions to defend good people against interests that are only interested in money, in insurance claims, that are not interested in morality. This could have been a political story. Or this story could have been an emotional story about a man who needs to blame someone. In fact, there's a really beautiful movie called The Sweet Hereafter by Adam Agoyan, in which we watch a lawyer, a bottom-feeding lawyer, who's struggling with the loss of his daughter, who is a heroin addict, who's come to this town to prosecute the driver of a bus that's gone off a cliff and killed a whole bunch of kids. And we get a personal journey about that character's need for someone to blame. But Sully doesn't fully go to that place either. Because there is no part of this Inquisitor that is human. There is no part of this character that is right. So, something to think about as you are working on a movie. Oftentimes, we get tempted by this word antagonist. We think we're telling the story of Sully and we're going, okay, I'm scared because I have this guy and I respect him and admire him and I don't want to turn him into some nasty dude who's not the good guy because I believe he is the good guy. I don't believe that this man did something wrong and I don't believe that this man needs to go on a journey of change because when I look at the man and I meet the man and I talk to the man, I don't see a guy who has a problem. I see a guy who did a brave thing who's part of a bad system. But that means that the interest is not going to come from his journey. So we get scared. We say, oh my God, I might not have enough movie here. I might not have enough of a point of entry. What am I going to do? Am I going to just keep playing the same beats? And we get tempted by this idea called the antagonist, the bad guy. We go, oh my God, I need a bad guy. I need a villain. I need an enemy. I need something that's going to create conflict in this story. And we get tempted to these mustache twirling villains, these guys 
who are entirely wrong, entirely bad, entirely misguided. But the problem is when we do this, we end up playing with loaded dice. And the game becomes a lot less fun. If you have to have a villain, if you're going to have a villain, make sure that your villain thinks he's a hero. Make sure that your villain wakes up every morning and looks at the mirror and says, I'm the hero of this story. Make sure that your villain's actions are coming from real beliefs. Make sure that in some way your villain is right. Don't take the noble airline pilot and turn his wife into the crazy, unsupportive villain who only thinks about herself. Don't create the Inquisitor who's entirely wrong. Create the Inquisitor that we think is wrong. And look for the part of him that's right. Look for the part of him that we can agree with. Look for the part of him that can shake us and our main character to the core. Since we've been talking about political movies or the potential politics of this film, which don't get fully explored, I want to bring up a wonderful political movie called Network. Network is the story of a network executive who has a nervous meltdown on the air. He starts shouting, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And all of America, instead of turning him off, gets seduced by this madman. And soon all of America is shouting, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And we, the audience, are also shouting, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. In fact, Patty Chayefsky, the writer, you're pretty sure, is also shouting with you, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take this anymore. And despite the fact that the movie was made many, many years ago, Patty Chayefsky in that film is actually anticipating a lot of the political and a lot of the news problems that we're actually having today. But what Paddy Chayefsky does is he does not weight his argument. He does not weight his argument towards what he believes. Instead, what he does is he weights the argument against what he believes. He tests the character, not with a weak argument, but with a strong one. Not with an argument that we can't believe. Not with an argument that seems incredible. But with one that seems damning. He marches his main character into the network CEO's office. And if you've seen the movie, you remember the monologue. It begins, the network CEO says, you have meddled with the forces of nature and goes on to give one of the most brilliant monologues ever about everything that the main character and Patty Chavsky, the writer, thinks is wrong. And why these things, in fact, are necessary for the survival of our society. And what's brilliant about Network is you get to the end of that scene and you're like, that's crazy, but he's got a point. And the main character gets to the end of that scene and says, I have seen the face of God. And starts preaching the gospel of the Network CEO. This is a writer, not who doesn't believe in his own argument, but believes so strongly in his own argument that he is willing to test it against the strongest argument possible from the other side. Writing a movie is about testing your beliefs and testing your character's beliefs. Writing a movie is about shaking yourself to the core and seeing if the things that you believe in can survive 
the strongest attack and make it to the other side. If you're writing an antagonist, make sure your antagonist thinks he's the good guy. So I want you to compare the stories we just talked about with the story of Sully. And you'll see why this argument is so weak. Not because it's not shocking and wonderful when the flight simulator seems to prove that Sully could have landed that plane. But because even when the flight simulator proves it, we still don't believe it. We've seen the visceral experience of Sully. And we've witnessed, as we watch the flight simulation, the total falseness of the simulation. We've seen these pilots perfectly calm as they land the plane. We've seen the parroting of Sully's dialogue from the transcript. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel visceral. And quite frankly, even if it was visceral, there's a part of us that's human. And that goes, my God, man, this guy did the very best he could. This is a good, strong, honest, brave, introspective man who did the very best he could. And we knew it from the moment we met him. And the truth of the matter is, even if every single simulation proved that he could have landed it, there's still a part of us that knows, you know what? I don't really care. Because would I have done any better in that situation? Would I have made a better decision? Could anybody have made a better decision? Or did this guy just do the very best he could to save the lives of everybody on that plane? There is never a point where the writer convinces us that we might be wrong. There's never a moment where he convinces Sully that Sully might be wrong. And that's because there's never a point where he convinces himself that he might be wrong. But does this mean that to write the story of Sully, you need to prove him wrong? No, that's only one way to skin this cat. Because yes, if you cast Tom Cruise as Sully, because if we meet Tom Cruise as Sully, and we meet Tom Cruise as the impetuous pilot who seemingly keeps on having to land these struggling planes. Remember, we have that flashback sequence where yet another plane in an emergency landing. This guy who maybe just flies a little off the handle, maybe he's just a little too confident that he knows better than the computers and the planes. Yes, that would create an interesting journey where we started to doubt, did he do the right thing? But maybe you look at Sully and you go, you know what? That's just not true. That's not who this man is. And even if it was who this man is, that's not the story I want to tell. Well, then you have to ask yourself, what's the actual dramatic point of entry? And you can see that they know that they don't have enough because they try to create another antagonist. They try to create the antagonist of his wife. They try to create conflict with his wife by creating a relationship with a woman who seems a little bit crazy and quite frankly, only concerned with herself. A woman who, as her husband is dealing with nearly dying in a plane crash, is giving him a hard time about the fact that they don't have a tenant for their house and her fear that, oh my God, they might lose their other property. A woman who doesn't seem to care about her husband at all. And I don't know much about Sully's life, and I don't know if that is his relationship with his wife, but if you introduce that kind of conflict, then you have to take Sully on a journey in relationship to that relationship, because the truth is that's the only real problem in his life. Sully is a great pilot, and he's going to beat these crappy inquisitors. He's got good friends. He's talented at what he does. 
The only real problem in Sully's life is that he's in love with a woman who doesn't seem to really love him back or who seems so absorbed with herself that she's not capable of fully loving him back. So there's another potential point of entry to the story, which is the story of how does this accident change this man's relationship? And you start to realize that there's so much more of an interesting story here than in the false jeopardy of a hearing that seemed to start and stop pretty quickly. Of a hearing that never really had legs, because this did not turn into the story that we were promised in the trailer of all of America turning on Sully. And that's why you didn't remember from the news all of America turning on Sully, because quite frankly, all of America did not turn on Sully. Sully remained a hero in the press and among the people. There was just one asshole, apparently, if that part is in fact true. And even if we believe that everything in the movie is true, which I never believe, it seems that that asshole's arguments were pretty quickly overturned and wholly destroyed. And we realize, you know what, this is not the point of entry into the movie. Because there are so many other wonderful questions, questions that never get explored because this particular script is just so worried about trying to create conflict and trying to create stakes. Questions like, what is it like to be a normal airline pilot and one day wake up a hero? What is it like when everyone feels like you're a hero and you still feel like you're just you? What is it like when all of America wants to hug you and hold your hand and kiss you and tell you how brave you are and buy you a drink, when Letterman wants to talk to you, when the press want to interview you, when you should have been dead, but somehow you're alive and you have to go back to the wife who doesn't love you and only thinks about herself. What is it like to be the people on that plane? What is it like to go back to your normal life the day after you die? Or the day after you're supposed to die? I bet if you ask yourself this question, you'll find that pretty soon you're telling yourself a story. Pretty soon you're telling yourself a story that's going to have change in it. Pretty soon you're telling yourself a story that's probably a lot more interesting to you than what you saw in Sully. And I'm not saying that Sully is a bad movie, because Sully is an entertaining movie. Sully is a good movie. But Sully is not a great movie. And one of the reasons you know it's not a great movie is that if Sully were not taken from a true story, you probably wouldn't have found it very interesting. In fact, you probably wouldn't have found it very believable at all you probably would have found the characters a little arch. The bad guys a little too bad and the good guys a little too good. You probably would have been a little bit annoyed by the flashbacks that don't go anywhere and the overly melodramatic and the seen-it-before sequences of good old passengers getting on a plane that we've seen in Titanic and a million other disaster movies. 
if you didn't think it was true, you would probably think it was not very good Hollywood. And this is one of our challenges in writing a true story is, is oftentimes when we're writing a true story, we have different kinds of anxieties. And, and one of those anxieties is, well, it happened that way. But movies are not about what happened. Movies are about what it felt like. And what it felt like is not, as happens in Sully, about characters speaking their emotions to each other. What it felt like is about dramatizing the journey of the character, the actions that the character takes and does. Sully's jogs around New York City are so much more compelling than his monologues to his friend about what it feels like to be in this situation, or his emotional glances out windows, or even his fantasy flashes to what could have happened. It's the actions that characters take as they try to deal with their emotions. It's the way that we externalize the problems of their lives. It's the way that they make choices and changes and grow that capture our interest and make things feel real. So when you're adapting a story, it's not about lying. You don't have to turn him into an impulsive guy who goes on a journey that challenges his impulsiveness, who comes to believe that he did the thing that was wrong, only to be cleared by evidence, so that he has to look at himself and doubt, was he right to trust his instincts, or should he play by the rules? You don't have to turn the character into that. Instead, you can run towards the truth. But you have to run towards the dramatic version of the truth. And running towards the dramatic version of the truth is about stepping inside of the character, stepping into the part of the character that is you, and taking yourself on a journey, asking those questions. So if the elements that are true, and I don't know if this is true or not, but if the elements that are true is that Sully is a really good, noble man who's married to not a good, noble wife. The truth of the matter is that's the most interesting dramatic content of this entire script. The plane crash is an external problem, but his choice to tie his life to this person is an internal one. And the way that plane crash changes or doesn't change that relationship is a dramatic question that can carry an entire movie. Movies are about change. Movies are about characters going on journeys that change them. And movies are about truth. And that's about digging to the truth, not only of your main character, but also of your antagonists, also of your bad guys. You want to find the ways that the noble person is wrong, and you want to find the ways that the innoble one is right. You want to bounce those ideas up against each other until both characters are forced to change. And until your audience is forced to go on a journey that makes them see both other people and themselves and the world that we live in just a little more clearly and a little more closely. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. As I mentioned, we make this podcast totally free with no outside advertising. So if you enjoyed it, please subscribe on iTunes and write us a review. You can also get a complete transcript of this podcast on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. And if you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, on one of our international retreats, or as part of our one-on-one ProTrack mentorship program, you can learn more about that on our website as well. That's writeyourscreenplay.com.